welcome to Two Former Stand-Ups, a work in progress podcast, currently about news and reviews about TV and film. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host Darren Milton. Good, good morning, Patrick. How are well, you doing? No, I was going to say good morning. I'll be you too. There you go. How good morning. Just, just let it go. <laughs> Edit this. Good morning, Darren. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm, okay. Well, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, a little bit flu. Not fluey, but coldy, coldy. You keep with it. You Cold-like, with it. but uh, I'm okay, I'm here. Uh, I'm spreading my germs, so that's a good thing. You know, when people ask you how you are, mm. you should reply, I'm doing better than good and better than most. True. Mainly because they go, what the hell are you on? <laughs> well, there we go. Okay, yeah, I'm doing better than most, so that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm not convinced, but uh, okay. I've, got, I've adopted half of it. <laughs> um the bit I can remember. Okay, better so than good and better than most. We're all here, all the yeah. the hordes of listeners. Yeah. Um, for your European discussion, yeah. and European info, yeah, attainment, uh, today. And uh, you told me beforehand that you've forgotten your notes, forgotten most about what you were going to talk about. Don't really have a clue. And is that about the about the case? Is it pretty much? Yeah, but I, I got a feeling that maybe our listeners weren't really up for up for Europe as much as I was when I came up with the idea about two weeks ago. Definitely, I think it's the thing I've had the most feedback about. What don't mention? People Europe. were looking forward to it. I just don't know the way how the news refers to it as Brexit. It's not as British exit, not Brexit. It's not Jedward. Is that it? Is that all you've got today? No, 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 no. You're not. You're not interested, Patrick. Just in you know. Okay, just... well, okay. What you have got, we'll come to later on. Okay. In the podcast, okay? And we'll see what you're made of. I'm worried. Uh, we'll start off with the news, as we normally do. A lot of comic book movie news today, mainly because Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is out today. I know that. I know. Oh, wow. I know. Amazing. I know something about films. Because yes. you saw it on Good Morning Britain this morning, before <laughs> morning, you came Brian. in. Retro. Oh, yeah, that. I yeah. remember. Right. But it's being absolutely slaughtered in the reviews Is at the it? moment. Yeah, and more so than normal. Essentially, a film like this comes out, and the news generally or reviewers generally don't like it for whatever reason um, because maybe it's a bit mindless. Uh, but this time they're really going after it. Um, a lot of two star reviews, two stars out of five days, uh, and it's being really hounded by the uh, critics. Uh, but we'll wait and see how much money it actually makes. And, so uh, there's that, but uh, Dawn has of Justice... A, has a poor review ever put you off going to see anything? I don't think so. No. Because a review so. at the end of the day is just someone else's opinion about something, isn't it? It is, but it changes your expectations before you go in. I don't, I don't think how it, how it can't, cannot change your expectations. I suppose you go in thinking this is going to be two star, this isn't going to be very good. Well, I often go in thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible, but I allow, you know, I'm a naturally an optimistic person. Not that anyone's actually said that. <laughs> Um, so I go in thinking, oh, yeah, this has got not rough reviews. And then you come out and go, oh, actually, no, actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. So that's how I normally get turned around. But then again, there are occasions where you think, oh, no, this is actually terrible. Generally, when you go into see, you, you fool yourself into going to see a Transformers movie. Uh, it's generally a case of that. But um, the cast have already started talking about the bad reviews. Henry Cavill's um, come out and said a few things about um, the negative reviews so far. Of course, it's open uh, opening to a torrent of uh, negative reviews this week, but the cast still seem confident fans will enjoy it. Uh, it's got 32% on 
Rotten Tomatoes. You're a Rotten Tomato yeah, kind of guy. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, you've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a regular. I'm not a regular subscriber to Rotten Tomatoes. But no. I know where they they review the film. So basically, thirty two percent is not is not good. No, I guess I don't. I don't really want to see too many reviews like that. I don't want to see a horde of reviews about something. You just go and see it, and then that's it, isn't it? I mean, you form your own opinion rather than I want to know what. 150 people think about it exactly that's the trouble with reviews it is just one person's you know one or person's 150 opinion. people's review yeah uh, thoughts on it but Zack Snyder has come out and said a few things uh, and I quote I'm a comic book guy and really I made the movie based as much as I could on that aesthetic I don't know how else to do it it is what it is Superman uh, Ken- Henry Cavill made the point that it's most important for comic book fans to be impressed and he's still holding out uh, that hope. He said, what is going to really matter, I believe, is what the audience says, because they're the ones who are buying the tickets. They're the ones who want to see more of this kind of story or not. So the audience's voice is loudest, and after this weekend, the audience will at least partly have spoken. And uh, Ben Affleck said, I agree. (laughs) This is all I've got. So, uh, yeah. Won't be drawn on the subject, maybe, but uh, shows his agreement. But in there, if you're a Batman fan or a Superman fan, you'll go and see the film, and it's kind of like because you're kind of into that sort of stuff. So you review, yeah, okay, two star reviews obviously aren't great, but if it only opens in the UK this weekend, yeah, see what they say in a week's time or so. But then again, it, it's really important this movie for DC because it's and Warner Brothers because it's essentially. I know we had Man of Steel a couple of years ago, but this is really the kind of dawn of justice, but dawn of the whole movie franchise as DC comic book movies go on. So if this movie doesn't do very well, then... They'll have it, to come up with some original ideas, like I said about three weeks ago. They had the original idea when the comic book character was created. We move on, they make a film. Okay, let it go. But uh, yeah, But uh, yeah, so a lot of films are stacked up for the future mm-hmm. uh, but if this film performs poorly then it's going to be really interesting I don't think you've ever seen something like this happen before where you know okay they've made trilogies before but it's always been well we can we can stop this if it if it isn't successful yeah you know Jurassic Park 1 Jurassic Park 2 gap before Jurassic Park 3 because they want you know they want a bit more enthusiasm to generate before they do the third one and then obviously we've got Jurassic Park World later on but when you are saying to everyone, look, you know, we've got this film, and then we've got this film, then we've got this film, you know, we've got Aquaman, then we've got Wonder Woman, then we've got yeah. a whole series, it makes you look, it can look very silly mm. and uh, very hard for them to do this because the juggernaut's already started, even if the money may not come in. Very hard for them to say, oh, actually, we've scrapped all that. Yeah. It makes them look really, really, really silly and that they didn't do a good job of it or make a good enough job of it for for all this to, to continue. So it really reflects very badly. Uh, a lot of pressure on the people making uh, making this film and c- critically for it to p- perform really poorly to start with is not a good sign. Um, so as I say, it will be followed, uh, this one will be followed by Suicide Squad later on in the year, uh, Wonder Woman and Justice League movies, um, which is essentially their version of Avengers. I guess also these are now obviously you know being made already in production. Millions have been spent. And it's like, oh, the first one we've kind of released is has gone a bit. Yeah. Yeah, not too well. Yeah. No, I think they might have to. Well, they will. I think it it won't perform. Well, I say it won't perform. Who knows? But it's not maybe not going to perform as well as they hope it would be. Hope it would. Yeah. 
um, because poor reviews, I think, doesn't stop the comic book fans turning up, but it may stop the, I don't know, the average guy on the street from going, oh yeah, I'll go and see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Might have some influence there. Uh, Game of Thrones is coming up. We're looking to Game of Thrones, Sky? I've seen much? bits and pieces. I'm not a massive, massive fan of Game no, of Thrones. Yeah, I've heard you say that many, many times during this podcast. <laughs> No, I'm not. Yeah, I've seen. Uh, yeah, little, what? There's a Jaws too. <laughs> Game of Thrones season six will be all out war. It's a, on the uh, on the, the uh, promotion train at the moment in terms of plugging uh, the next season. It's going to be the biggest battle ever. So they say coming up in uh, Game of Thrones. So you know vaguely what Game of Thrones is about: dragons and mm, a bit of magic and all this sort of stuff mixed up together. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Game of Thrones fans, brace yourselves to show's biggest, baddest. Uh, battle sequence ever has been filmed for season six the episode took a month to shoot and is directed by miguel sapochnik yeah that's what i'm gonna say uh, who has also directed last season's hard home in which the white walkers army of dead swarmed a wildling village uh, that's a standout episode really from last season showrunner david benioff added miguel did such a fantastic job with hard home we thought we would bring him back this time with horses. Horses are not easy at all, and certainly the numbers, numbers of extras, number of stuntmen, number of shooting days is the biggest we've done. The upcoming battle scene will be more akin to the major film battles seen in the likes of The Lord of the Rings, involving two huge armies and a massive clash. Uh, we've always wanted to get to a place story-wise and budget-wise and time-wise and resource-wise where we'd be able to do a proper battle with one army on one side, one army on another side. Krogman went on to say. Benioff, show, fellow showrunner Dan Weiss said, we wondered, why don't you see more fleshed out battles in movies and TV? Then you get into the nitty gritty of what it actually takes to shoot these things in a way that isn't just how to scout chaos, but actually gives you a sense of battle, geography and the ebb and flow, and you realise why. So we'll look forward to that. It's, um, they're building it up, certainly. certainly. A little bit of hype for uh, a massive battle sequence coming for Game of Thrones. Um, season 6 premiere will be simulcast on Sky Atlantic at 2am on April 25th at the same time as in the US on HBO. Will you be up at 2am to watch that? Uh, no, well, I don't have Sky Atlantic, so that's an issue. Have you ever been one of these people that queues up at midnight to go and buy a book or a game or whatever? No, I've obviously I've, you know, been in shops, worked in shops where that's the case. And has it paid off? Well, probably, yeah. It did do for the business involved but um, no I certainly wouldn't and um, well wait maybe once maybe once <laughs> what, did you, what did you queue up for or get up early for or stay up late for I think it was probably it was up and out, out anyway so it was like oh may as well wait maybe an extra <laughs> half, half an <laughs> hour casually walking through the high street no well it was, no, it was out and about so it was a supermarket late at night so they were selling something at midnight what, so. was it very, very mysterious about what you was buying yeah. um, it was a game of some kind video game I can't really remember what it was maybe no I can't really can't remember what it was okay but I will think on that <laughs> and get back to you uh, more Game of Thrones uh, news now um, just some more hype from David Benioff saying there's not a weak episode which is quite something to say uh, it's the one I'm proudest of so more hype for Game of Thrones coming up so do you have any thoughts on the next James Bond who you might want to see who you won't you know, don't want to see because I've got I've got a few. I mean, it's not something I care greatly about, but I don't know. Is Daniel Craig not going to make another one? He's what? been pretty good. 
Well, I, I'm kind of sick of the rumours surrounding David, uh, Daniel Craig, whether he's going to do the next one or not. It's gone on for far too long now. Just want to know either way. The thing is, when like he done the last one, he gave his interviews, it made it sound like he didn't really enjoy doing it, to be honest with you. Some of the things he was saying, it's just like, you know, Daniel, come on. But they're like that, though, aren't they? After a while, actors, just, they do. It's like... I guess when you're in their world, from the outside looking in, it does seem like they're moaning a bit too much and whatever and they don't appreciate it but when you're probably inside you know and you think you're doing your job and you think you're doing your job well it's like anyone else who thinks they're doing their job well they probably do get a bit you know restless I guess I suppose so yeah I mean if I was Daniel Craig I'd, I'd string it out for as long as possible to be honest with you yeah but Would I don't think not? he wants to be typecast I think, I think it's probably, probably too late for him to be not typecast now I don't know I think he's done enough before Bond that that won't be the case but then again, a lot of his films are very average. They're the ones before Bond. And even the James... Hey, controversial. I think a lot of his James Bond one, Casino Royale, was good. And I don't think any of the others have really... But I haven't seen um, Spectre. I haven't seen Spectre yet. But uh, critically, it wasn't well received either. So, But I will end up watching that. Um, Danny Dyer. He'll be the next <laughs> James Bond. James Bond. Knock your nut off. Bond. Maybe as a as a spoof or something. <laughs> Who do you reckon the next James Bond? It's well, not, unless it's going to be you and going to write this news to me live on air. It's now. not going to be me. No, it's not going to okay. be me. Um, it's going to take a bit of a leap this one, but I think it's I think it would be a good choice. But there's probably a few different reasons why this isn't going to happen. Uh, Henry Cavill, Superman, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he's quoted, and a lot of uh, actors are kind of putting their hat into the ring recently. Tom Hiddleston, I think, was misquoted or contextually-wise recently about uh, him talking about James Bond. But uh, And then, obviously, uh, Idris, Idris Elba has talked about it as well. But uh, Henry Cavill has been quoted as saying it would be great. Could Henry Cavill or Superman, who's better known these days, be taking over as the next James Bond? He's quoted as saying uh, on the Graham Norton show, um, which I think is coming up tonight, tomorrow... Tomorrow. Is it sad? Right now, Friday, he's normally on. Well, there we go. One of, uh, yeah, tonight's Graham Norton. Uh, he has been uh, quoted as saying, I'm very busy with the Superman stuff, but if there were any windows and they wanted me to do that kind of role, it would be great and I would love to do it. And I think he would be, I think he would be a good choice. Uh, it probably not strikes you as the most charismatic choice, but I think out of the people out there, it's probably, I can see him doing it. Yeah. In my mind, you can see him do it. Um, to be fair, Tom Hiddleston, I can't see him doing it. And it's just so bar. I'm going to upset a lot of people. I don't know if they care what I think. But I don't think he can act. So, <laughs> I've said it. There we go. I can see his cogs working in his head. Right, okay. I can see it all. It's very obvious, his acting to me. But that's just my opinion. A lot of people love him. What a great CV that guy will have if he does get the role then. Superman and James Bond. Yeah, pretty much. Where do you go after that? Well, Indiana Jones, Pan Solo. It's been done before. I suppose so, yeah. But it was Harrison Ford, I guess. He's yeah. pretty special, isn't he? My mate once saw Harrison Ford's feet in Harrods. Wow. He was going up the left. He was coming down the left. He just saw his feet. So he told, what, how do you know it was him? Cause the he guy, just knows his feet really well. My mate was having a guided tour of Harrods before he was going off to meet Mohammed Al-Fayed. And he obviously said that's that was Harrison Ford. My mate went, huh? I saw his feet. So he could have just been wound up. Winding them up, really. Well, you wouldn't wind. If you work in Harrow's and you get famous people all the time, you don't really need to wind people up. 
So at the time I was in Hamleys and I saw David Hasselhoff. I wouldn't make that up. There we go. Tell us about David Hasselhoff. What, what was he buying? Lego? He was just walking by. He was walking around. This was probably back in about... 88, maybe 90. Just walked past me in Hamleys and I was like, ha, huh, it's Knight Rider. And I turned around and he had like a Baywatch jacket on and two like bouncers with him. He had a Baywatch jacket? Yeah, like Baywatch. Was he there promoting jacket. Baywatch or did he just have a Baywatch know. jacket on? I don't know. Whether he just kind of forgot where he was or thought he'd actually wear his Baywatch jacket. But yeah, it was like, wow. I saw him, I saw the comedy writer Barry Cryer and someone else, I can't remember, all on the same day. Someone else that you can't remember? What a memorable person that would be so you saw another celebrity on that day but you can't really I remember did, yeah, I, I saw Sonia from EastEnders getting cash from a cash machine oh, Natalie Cassidy what was that too it was a college trip to London and it's really it was really it looked out the window and there she was it was like it was strange because it was not like you were walking around and she was walking around and it was just oh it's Natalie it's, it's, it's Sonia <laughs> she didn't have a trumpet on her she wasn't she was just getting money that. money from a cash machine not that it's a celebrity top trumps, but when I was living in London, I was walking across a bridge, can't remember what the bridge is called, by the London Eye, on the phone to my mum. It was a queen. A queen drove, she wasn't driving herself, underneath the bridge. I was like, wow, I've just seen the queen. I'm in London, I've seen the queen. So you saw her cavalcade. Mm. Mm. Where, where'd you go from there? I think I think I saw the uh, cavalcade too once, on the way to Cheltenham to watch Talkie United play. Uh-huh. And then she drove past, or a royal drove past, but we we, we made it up. It was, I think it was the Queen. We got the sense it was for some reason. Cool. So there we go. I've seen the whole England football team on their coach. Come yeah, past not me. that big a deal. What? Not that big a deal. I saw... Um, 2010, were England any good back then? I saw... Uh, what's, what's the Queen's husband called? Philip. Philip. I saw Philip turn up at an engagement and then walk past a horde of young children that were out to see him <laughs> and were there to get you know meet him and he just walked straight past them and they were like I met I met the Queen and Prince Philip in Brixham many moons ago we made a tapestry for the celebrations of when William Prince of Orange landed in Brixham basically Prince Philip um, said to one of my friends who'd made a part of the tapestry with the uh, Royal York Britannia on it and like the, the flags were gold and my mate had used like yellow wool or whatever it was for it and Prince Philip said to him oh, that's something racist so he said that's the wrong colour and my mate was oh we had yellow <laughs> <laughs> so uh, instead of saying well done kids for making a tapestry it's like that's the wrong colour <laughs> So, Took uh, issue with the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So this is terrible. Who did yeah. this? Yeah. Who did this? I blame government cutbacks. But it was weird, to be honest with you. It was only like 10, 11, and um, literally kind of like all facing the Queen, but on the left-hand side, all along the rooftops, was like basically police snipers because uh, she'd had death threats against her. Oh, right. So, um, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Going well, but tapestry's going to be a fire risk <laughs> for a start, isn't it? <laughs> no, it was all to do with the... Uh, Political system that I kind of probably don't want to get into on uh, on this podcast here. But well, a couple of my friends actually kind of stayed away. They weren't allowed to go to the uh, meeting of the Queen because they didn't. Oh, I was going to yeah. say they didn't pass security checks. No, no, no. that was a. Uh, imagine being in the royal family. That must be. I I don't understand why. Like when they take Prince George out to the park or whatever, there must be so much security around that. Do you know what I mean? I it's think. Kind of, I think the area's cleared a three-mile radius, probably. And they go, right, take the phone. Yeah, okay. And they just gather him up and chuck him into a car. 
and uh, go, 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 go. It would be, it would be mad, though, wouldn't it? Like, why? Not that I'm giving people ideas, like famous people, why they've not kind of royal family been kidnapped or whatever. Oh, well, I, I can probably the company would be pretty drab. <laughs> <laughs> a, I suppose know, so. Like, yeah. uh, at least kidnap someone entertaining, like um, Bill Murray. You know, I don't know about. I don't. I can't imagine you'd be able to talk about much. You wouldn't be able to talk about comedy yeah, but, comedy from the nineteen eighties for a start, would you? But, but you wouldn't necessarily kidnap them for the the um, the entertainment. It's more like the monetary value or the status uh, value. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought I mean? about that actually. Yeah, true. But, but like, uh, how much security? Do these people well, kind of have? They must what have. can you do? I mean, you know, by by the American films, no one's safe, are they? I mean, you wouldn't, you know, you can't, you know, guarantee safety, can you? Yeah. Because if you're out and about, all any, anything can happen. It's like Donald Trump the other day when he was giving one of his talks. It was a plane in the background. Not quite sure exactly what happened, but someone shattered something out, and before you know it, it was like five or six Secret Service guys all around him and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that guy. Oh, Donald Trump mm. doesn't get your vote. I can't uh, believe he's got so far, and it's just like. Well, by all accounts, he either has got loads of money or no money. I don't. It depends what you read and where you read it. Yeah. Um, but he, he lost it all before, didn't he? Yeah. Years ago. And by all accounts, he's like 160 million dollars in debt or something. But then, what does it mean? Debt doesn't mean anything to some people, does it? It's. No, because you might have 160 million dollars of debt, but if he owns Trump Towers or real estate in New York City, you can bet that he's he's worth. Yeah, but is that? Is that the right way of doing things? If you're, you know, shouldn't you just pay your debts? If you've got money, shouldn't you have money rather than? A lot you know, of people don't, they, do they? Live on debt, yeah. essentially. Anyway, maybe. Oh, talk about a. Uh, yeah. All around the houses, then. I'm warming up. I think. I think it's a bit of a cold start, but. Uh, I'm a bit tired. I was. Uh, went to go to bed early last night because I was tired, but I just couldn't sleep. The excitement of coming into the studio today. Good Friday. I look at the clock about half past seven, I think, oh, it's still pretty early. And then you look again, it's half past twelve, and you think, oh, I've ruined it again. (laughs) Uh, More DC news here. Just about how we're talking about how they're going to be marketing their their films. uh, And by one way is by making them PG-13, which is essentially 12A in this country, I believe. I mean, generally speaking, their comic book characters are possibly a little bit more violent than Marvel ones. Uh-huh. Whereas Marvel have pushed their characters quite far in terms of what they show on screen. By what they're planning, DC are pulling their characters back a bit in terms of the violence and the themes that they're, they're, they're going to show in their films. But uh, by all accounts, PG-13 was always planned um, for their series of films, says producer. Suicide Squad producer Charles Roven has revealed that they... I'd always planned to release the DC Justice League characters in PG-13. We want to present them in the, to the broadest possible audience that we can, he said. Despite the film's dark premise, Suicide Squad will keep its PG-13 rating when it's released in UK and US cinemas on August 5th. Uh, essentially, Suicide Squad is a team of anti-heroes or villains that are brought together, kind of something towed over them, so they perform like heroic tasks and go in and do different, difficult things. Uh, the discussion on what to rate superhero movies was recently sparked by Deadpool's success as an R-rated movie, but that doesn't seem to affect DC Comics. Roven told Collider, I understand why Deadpool was released as an R-rated film, and I think that the DC Justice League characters, particularly because so many of them are so iconographic, have been around for so long and for so many generations, 
I've grown up with them. It's a long sentence, this. And, and that are still growing up with them. I think we want to present them when we find it. Oh, I've lost the will to live. Uh, essentially, it's going to be PG-13. Brilliant. Well, there we go. <laughs> You're right. Less, less quotes, I think, in this work, work in progress. As, I, I've lost the will to live with reading out quotes. What's the point? As you was reading that, I didn't, I didn't necessarily switch off. But I had a flashback <laughs> to the day I saw Prince Andrew running through London with his minder, 86. Wow, all these, yeah, all these anecdotes, all exactly. these memories of the royal family. It's almost as if you, they were right to keep an eye on you, <laughs> the security services. Do you remember the film, uh, American programme, Crazy Like a Fox? No. They were filming it in this posh London hotel. My cousin and me, like loads of us, walked past and they were filming it in the doorway. My cousin wouldn't move until they told us what they were filming. What was it? What is Crazy Like a Fox? It was like, I think it was like American kind of like, not necessarily a sitcom, but like that kind of. Like, What's that got to do with Prince Andrew? It's just the same day. It was a busy day in London that day for me. So you saw Prince Andrew, and then you saw a sitcom being filmed. Basically, yes. Oh, yeah. Space of like days. That's how I roll, Patrick. That's how you, I roll. You do seem to, you know, think things. Famous people seem to concrete around you or have been drawn to you whenever you're uh, you're in London. Maybe I'm desperate. Maybe I'm not desperate. Maybe I'm going to be famous. Maybe that's what it is. Hasselhoff being the most famous. Yeah, I'd say he's probably, yeah, I'd suppose so, yeah. You go to Germany, they, they don't know who the royal family is, even though they are the same nationality as them. But they'd know David Hasselhoff is with his... Oh, uh, they love him. What's he called? Get in my car, come up and drive, yeah. drive my car, something like that. Right, we've got a review, anyway. What do you know about 10 Cloverfield Lane? Which I believe is the title, but I haven't actually checked. But it's something like that. Ten Cloverfield Lane. That rings a bell. Is that something that's out at the moment? I've seen it that is, somewhere. It is something. It's a film I went to see on Tuesday. No! 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 Don't open that door! They're going to get all the kills. Something's coming. Ten Cloverfield Lane. It's interesting how it's been made because I think it was a, a script that was one thing and then J.J. Abrams got hold of it and then it became another thing. I think that's what you can take from its creation. But I don't think anyone really knew about the film in any great way until about January. So it's like they were always surprised everyone with this film and therefore got exposure through kind of the surprise of it turning up because no one was expecting it. So obviously you've got Cloverfield, uh, a film, I don't actually know the year of it, um, before, um, which was, have you seen Cloverfield? No. Essentially that was a big, it was a big viral marketing campaign. When viral marketing and that was all starting to kick off, Cloverfield was one of the first to really get hold of that and kind of entice people into the film before it was out uh, through websites and through coded messages and all that kind of stuff that I just can't be bothered with, you know, where you, they give you a message and then you go to a website and in that website it's another code or another uh, rhyme or something and then you, that sends you to another website and that sends you to a video of one of the characters and all that kind of stuff that just doesn't interest me at all. In a way, it's kind of changed again. It's presented something new as in it only had essentially a couple of months of, months of uh, marketing and people know about the film before it was out. 
So that's how it garnered a lot of uh, exposure. It's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who mm-hmm. is relatively new to uh, taking the director's chair. So he directed a film based on the Portal video game. Um, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, it's just it's a very good game if you look it up. Um, we've got a cast of good actors here: John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, Bradley Cooper is in it to some extent as well, uh, and a few others. But uh, generally, you're talking about a cast of a very small cast um, because, and when I tell you the plot, uh, after getting into a car accident. A woman is held in a shelter with two men who claim the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. So that's where the uh, tension is built from. Essentially, you see this character, you see a little bit about her life uh, before this event happens. Uh, she gets in a car accident, she wakes up underground in, in a, a bunker. Goodman's character is shrouded in mystery throughout the film. He's the person who's kind of brought these people together um michelle uh, and emmett are their character names and he's the one saying no you can't go outside something's happened although he doesn't really explain what and that's part of the intrigue of the movie as well because even he doesn't know or he doesn't say what's happened but he says something has happened but also the tension of the film is based on what we know about the film as well because it's called 10 clofield lane it's connected to the cloverfield uh film as well so from what we know from that we're waiting for something to happen in the film as well so it's not just tension built into the film but it's also what we know about the connection to another film right okay. so which is something new that i haven't you know, when i'm in the cinema i'm like well if it's based in the same universe or the same themes as cloverfield you know about cloverfield essentially it's essentially a, a big monster appears and within that film cloverfield uh, a character has to go and rescue another character and that's essentially what it is but while that they're on their journey to rescue this other character the Cloverfield monster which is a massive great big thing um, it's just destroying the world around them right okay so you're just waiting so all you've seen up to this point is someone getting into a car accident they're underground someone says something's happened and you don't know what but you think well if it's Cloverfield then it must be something to do with that but you don't know Mary Elizabeth Winstead it kind of leads the film along with Goodman. Um, she's been in a variety of films you'll be familiar with or not. Um, essentially, Final Destination 3, I remember her from her in uh, 2006. She was uh, Lucy McLean in Live Free or Die Hard in 2007, uh, which is Die Hard 4.0, I think, as well. Uh, Scott Pilgrim. Um, have you seen Scott Pilgrim? No. Uh, 2011, The Thing... 2012, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. 2013, A Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, and she kind of built up this reputation within the horror world, I guess, to some certain extent. Um, but she's also been in a lot, lot of different films and TV shows as well. Goodman's character is shrouded in mystery throughout the film. You're never absolutely sure whether he is a, a well-meaning, well-meaning weirdo or something a bit more sinister. What is the film's relation to Cloverfield? Well, J.J. Abrams, who is producing the film, uh, has described this film as not a direct sequel to Cloverfield, but as a blood relative to the original movie. Whether this means that any creatures in the movie will appear or not is really up to your imagination and what you think is coming up. Um, I think it keeps a good balance. You're always kept on edge. 
throughout the film, even though there are points where everyone kind of gets on. Because I guess if you're in that kind of environment, it's the Stockholm effect, I yeah. guess, even <laughs> even if being held captive. Um, they all have to get along to a certain extent. They all come together as like a little family, I guess, at some points in the film. Early on, and uh, it's a bit of a spoiler, the internal logic is held kind of held throughout the film because obviously uh, Michelle is looking for a way to escape but she is given a reason to believe that this might be the case early on so it's not like throughout the whole film she's like oh well this is this guy's just nuts um everything else is everything is okay he's just holding me captive there is a reason why she thinks well actually something might have happened yeah as I say you, you, you think you've got one up on the characters because you think you know what's going on outside because of the relation to the other film right okay but you're never absolutely sure Goodman and Winstead uh, deliver counter side to the story he's obviously conspiracy nut I guess is what, how you describe it she obviously thinks there's something must be going on here this, this isn't quite right the, the third character in the story um, has a bit more, more of a diff, uh, difficult job I think um uh, Emmett, who's played by um, someone, uh, he's got more of a difficult job because uh, it's, it, the relationship between Goodman and Winstead is probably the interesting part, you know, as in how they get along. Goodman obviously sees her as maybe a replacement for his daughter, who we don't really know what's happened to, to his daughter, but obviously maybe been caught up in the stuff that's been happening. But that kind of looks a little bit deeper into that relationship. And the third kind of uh, point in the triangle is Emmett, who he's described as a film as kind of getting into the bunker by accident, or at least he's helped Goodman's character create the bunker, so he knows it exists, so he turns up. Right, okay. So maybe he's not part of uh, Walter, who's Goodman's character. He's not part of the plan, but he's in there anyway. So that adds a bit of tension in there because we get the sense that Walter didn't plan for all this. He planned for maybe a daughter a replacement daughter to be in him be inside the uh, the bunker but this Emmett has turned up and it creates a bit of tension there's also a montage in there which helps to bring the characters together love a montage uh, reminded me of uh, the montage from the recent Dawn of the Dead remake well I say recent it's about 10 years old now. <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of tension in terms of creating a little mini world inside the bunker and keeping it all together, I think the film does a really good job. Maybe it's not something you need to go to the cinema to watch. Well, I'm not going on my own now, no. No, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's something you can maybe watch at home equally as well. Although, you know, obviously the cinema effect does add something. But the film's done really well so far. A budget of £15 million estimated, obviously, it might be a little bit more, but... Uh, the gross so far up to the 22nd of March is 47, nearly $49 million. So it's already made three times its budget, which is more or less uh, a success so yeah. far. And that's, that's still early doors, so there's more money to be made. These small horror films can make huge money on small budgets. Obviously, you've got the... Uh, I think it's kind of stopped now, this kind of long kind of train of movies, which probably had a $10 million, $15 million budget, but were making like hundreds, $100 million dollars at yeah. the box office there's been so many of them and they've been so ubiquitous that to be fair I can't even remember any of the names because there's so many of them about possession and all that all those other movies what's the famous one it's can't even think of it now 
But anyway, that one that we've made about six sequels to, I think that's kind of stopped now because people have got sick of it and we've moved on. But uh, no, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good watch. Certainly sounds a success, like you said. I've made three times with the budget. That's a, that's a good sign. Exactly. And at the end, you obviously get to know what you thought all the time is true or not. And that's the kind of... It's kind of a thing I'm, I haven't um, felt in the cinema for quite a while. Right, right. spoiler alert. Okay, we're going to talk about it spoiler-free now. So anything... So if you want to watch a film, uh, don't listen to to this bit. Maybe fast-forward five minutes or so. Okay, so she does escape at the end, and then it is a case of have I what I've thought all this time, is it true? She comes out, she looks around... And then you see something in the distance and you think, what is that? Because it's not quite... They don't give it away straight first thing. And you think, oh, wait a minute, it's a, it's a drone. No, no, wait a minute, it is an alien crash. So at the end, all the alien, uh, there is an alien encounter. And it does turn alien. So she's been thinking, how can it be aliens? How can it be a chemical whatever attack? How, you know, surely not. Yeah. Uh, but at the end, it, it does turn out that it is, it is an alien. So bit of it like an Outer Limits episode. It's kind of self-contained. I don't see it going anywhere else. I think they'll make a, a straight sequel to this film. It doesn't strike me as something you can make a straight sequel because once you know the aliens are there, mm. I think the budget shoots up <laughs> to $100 million at least. Yeah. So in, in terms of this self-contained little episode from the Cloverfield universe, I think it does really well. Whether it, it would jar some people, whether they think oh, if this is just a tight, intense kind of uh, uh, kidnapping, you know, uh, story, and I enjoy it for that. Yeah. And then she gets out and there are really aliens and maybe maybe she was better off than the monka. Probably not because of what happens. But whether that's going to upset some people or think, oh, well, they didn't really need it. It's, it's, it's an argument. You could argue that, that uh, she, leaves, she leaves the uh, monka... And maybe you just cut there. I don't know, but uh, no, you definitely get you get an action sequence at the end, which is a payoff for some, a spoiler for some, some of those maybe. But I enjoyed it. As I say, I wouldn't go to the cinema to watch it. Uh, there's no real need to go to the cinema. I think you can watch it at home. Was it a busy night on Tuesday in the cinema? Or was it fairly? Was was you? Was there many people watching the same film? Well, I went during the day, so there was. Oh, the, you yeah, part timers. You part timers. <laughs> I'm lucky. Um, probably five or six people, other people in there. Have you ever been to the cinema on your not on your own, but in the, your well, yeah, the only person in the cinema. No. Oh, Have you ever done that? No, mate of mine did. What it's you it's really see? awkward. It's like years ago. Um, it might even have been Poltergeist or something random like really? that. Really? That long ago. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there was a case. Probably, I think there was a one case where I thought, oh, I am going to be, and then someone stands up last minute. <laughs> That's probably even worse. Um, but uh, you, I, I have a little system going to cinema because if you go too early, then they put you in one of the smaller ones upstairs, don't they? So it's always right, going to be yeah. kind of moving towards late afternoon where you get into the the bigger screens because I'm not I'm not having it. I'm not going to see it, even if it's proportionally probably the same. I'm not going to go and see the smaller screen because you think oh, I'm paying the same and it's you're paying cont. Yeah. yeah, and it's not it's not not the same experience as people are going to get later on. So. So that's one thing that goes through my mind. Another thing, I was I don't want to be near people. If you if you've only got like seven people in the cinema, <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's no point all being bunched up, is there? Right. You may as well have your own space. And also, 
I, when I went in there first and I was like near the front, middle front-ish uh, where that intersects, I was underneath one of the lights and it was quite bright and I had to move back about three or four rows. <laughs> no, it really was. I was thinking, oh, that's going to get on my nerves. Actually, to be fair, because because of this, it makes it very difficult to go when the cinema's full because there's a lot more noise and if you're used to going in there when it's near enough empty, it uh, yeah, could upset you. Not to say that, you know, I'm not saying I took issue with some Other young lads sharing your screen. Young lads eating crisps. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how does that work? They were literally eating essentially bags of McCoys. I think come the on. noisiest crisp out there as well. Exactly, the foil density of of the McCoy packet is probably a bit greater than the average one. It was a joke. Sort yourself out. No need for it, is it? Keep the noise down in the cinema. Now. We talk Europe. Ba, 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 ba. Well, we don't, to be honest with you. I looked no. into it, and there's like a few bits and bits. I think really Europe. We need to sort of discuss closer to the time of the of the referendum when we've got more facts and more bits and pieces about it. Because at the moment, there's so much, so much else going on in the world. To be honest with you, that that Europe is kind of like. So when we said in the last podcast, next time we're going to talk about Europe, and you're gonna you're gonna do the hard work. Yeah. What happened to that? Well, I started the hard work, and I just thought we can't—we kind of peaked too soon, to be honest here. <coughs> I think we need to give people Europe the week before the. Re- well, it'll be all, we'll actually be organised because people want to know now. People want to know now. They want to know now. They do. There's more important things going on in the world at the moment than uh, than Britain and Europe. Well, true, but look—if you let that stop you every time, there's always something more important. Can't let that stop you, can you? Well, no, I don't know what you're thinking is more important, but I'm thinking Eddie the Eagle Edwards movie is out. There's <laughs> a great story about the underdog. How did I not go and see that? Well, no. it's because I don't think it's out yet. I think it's out this weekend. Is it? Go and oh. see it Tuesday afternoon. It's one of those you typical kind of. We don't really. Money seems to always come from America, but British film with a, an American. Uh, Australian, should I say. But Hollywood star plumped straight in it. That doesn't always. Work out for the best, but uh, but uh, maybe in this time it will. Uh, Taron Egerton and Hugh Jackman, hmm. of course. I, I don't know really how you can say it's based on a true story. I, don't, I wouldn't have thought it would be. Essentially a hard-drinking ex-skier, world-class skier, fallen on hard times, but ends up coaching Eddie the Eagle. I don't think, I don't think that's a, a true story, is it? No, Eddie got uh, interviewed the other day on the radio, and like there was yeah a little bit of a creative license with the film. But like he said, like he sold the rights to his film something like seventeen years ago, and uh, he got a phone call probably about only about this time last year. He was saying, "Going, oh, we've uh, I'm such and such. I've bought the rights to your film." And Eddie's going right, okay, and like the people he got signed up, and Eddie was saying, "Oh my god, they're going to make me make my film at long last." I think. I'm remembering back to the day when like he was big news. I think like, people kind of like, I guess everyone everyone kind of loves the underdog, don't they? It's like, yeah, people like to see people do well. But here was a guy who, who was coming last all the time, but he just he just kept on going basically, didn't he? He didn't give he he wasn't listening to the two he didn't get two star reviews. He wasn't listening to the no star reviews. Going oh this this bloke's a joke. He was he was he was giving he was out there giving it a go. I guess he well. I don't know too much about him, and I was kind of a bit late on in in. He was around in the eighties, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, so I was probably a bit too young, but 
you kind of know the uh, the story. But I guess he kept qualifying for these events, didn't he? he so he did, but I'm not quite sure there was too much competition for him to actually qualify because I know they changed the rule. This is what I was trying to print out. Everyone, they did change the rules after after his. Uh, so, so essentially, they were kind of giving uh, 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 an entry to all the countries, whether they were up for it or not. Essentially, in terms of qualifying, we may have it wrong, but yeah, pretty much along along those lines. So yeah. he wouldn't be able to make it nowadays. Don't think so. No. And the world is poorer for it. Well, I think everyone needs an underdog, don't they? Do you know what I mean? Life would be kind of boring if if everybody. I think you know when you see people that that are kind of. Just out there having a go, to be honest with you. I like that. I like that. I remember his interview on a... We come back to Wogan, his interview on Wogan, and like him saying, oh, yeah, I was practising jumping off me, uh, my shed roof and all that kind of... It's like, that's the spirit. He had a go. And like, uh, yeah, you know, for a few years, he was at, you know, the height of his fame, must have rolled it in. Now he's like a plasterer, and this could be like his second chance at... Second chance at fame. Well, there we go. It's not a film I'm going to go into the cinema. Obviously, well, I'll next... go on my own then. There you go. You've, <coughs> you've ruined our date night, mate. <laughs> next film, I think, next top podcast. If you go and see that, and I go and see Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, hang on. Where's my invite for Superman, Batman? Batman v Superman. Yeah. Well, you can go and see it if you want. Well, anyway. that's not really an invite. Is it? Go and see it if you want. <laughs> Whatever, you know, if you want to. Um, yeah, next time around, we've got... Um, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Yes. Superman v Batman film, Batman, Superman, whatever, in whatever order that is. Where's Supergrand? Uh, Caterpillar Sandwiches, that's what I remember from uh, Supergrand, uh, which was horrible. That was entertainment back there. If you said to kids now, right, Sunday night viewing is a woman who's like a superhero and she's got a handbag and an umbrella, let's just go, huh? <laughs> I was thinking of Simon and the Witch, actually. Sandwiches. Sandwiches. I didn't. Yeah. It didn't ring a bell with me when you said that about Supergram. I thought I might have missed. No, Supergram was Scotch, wasn't she? Mm. Yeah, Sorry, Scottish. Scotch. <laughs> Scotch. She was Scottish. Yes. Uh, and uh, Titan. I remember she stopped an armed robbery once. <laughs> Apart from that, I can tell you else what she done. And then she got on with filming the episode. Yeah, it was a good one. That one. But uh, even the theme tune was. Uh... Anyway, should we save the nostalgia for next time? Alright, yeah. And uh, we'll talk about... Well, you go to the cinema without me and watch Batman yeah, Superman well, on your Tuesday well, afternoon. Well, listen, by I'll account, go to the, su- the cinema By account, it's rubbish. So. What? Yeah, well, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, uh, get your two sour views out. Yeah, I'll get the... Uh, but uh, that'll be next time. So, well, th- what a European debate that was. Amazing. It was brief. That's what people want. Uh, I'm really... I'm really You're informed You're not disappointed. Now. He wasn't even looking forward to it. When I'm I suggested so it the first time, it was like, huh? Yeah, but I bound you to it and you've, you've wriggled out of it. Well, I haven't wriggled out of it. I said, good. okay, make it entertaining. There's the challenge. Yeah, and you haven't even done early. it. It's too early. It's too it's early. It's not too early. People too need early. to know now. They need to be informed. No, we'll, go. we'll have all... This podcast will be here for all your European news, views and updates you'll need before the referendum. That's a promise I make to the, okay. to the listening public. Uh, well, it's, it's disappointing, that's all. It's not, is it? Secretly relieved. Um, update on uh, my nude endeavour to publicise the podcast. Yeah. To uh, display my body on uh, a building somewhere. Yeah. Um, the council got involved. Okay, yeah. 
and the community support officer and they're saying I can't do it. Now, political correctness gone mad, I think you find. What's wrong with that? You tell me. Make a case for them. Well, I've just, I've just come up with an idea, actually, where you could get Naked 2 that would, A, publicise this show, yeah. and B, raise awareness, a very important campaign. Okay, go on. That no one really knows that much about at the moment, so mm. hopefully I'm not uh, spinning the beans too much. Go on. But there is word on the street. There are plans. Then, if you travel much by train, right? But basically, to stop the train track from Exeter to Paynton. So literally, there'll be no trains from Paynton to Exeter. So if you want to go to Exeter by train, you have to drive to Exeter to get the train. What? Exactly. You need to look into this. Uh, this is your watchdog mission. I can't say too much about it, but I was somewhere yesterday. Just watch, watch this space. Basically, if that is the case. We need you naked at Exeter St. David's station. With a placard? Or just running around? Yeah, maybe a placard. Yeah, I don't want you to just be... Just be yeah, we'll work <laughs> on it. But yeah, no, apparently that's the... Um, well, this is taking a weird turn. This is the... Uh, and that was after I announced I was trying to expose my body. It's not who you know, it's what you know. Yeah, but how, no, does that, how, know. Does that, how does that uh, publicise the podcast? Because you'll be saving our trains... They're not going to say. To local people. They're not going to say. Patrick Tinkler, two former stand-ups today. <laughs> Podcasts, yeah. Yeah. They're not. No. They are. They're not even going to do that for asking. They're going to go, no, where are you from? How old are you? <laughs> Grow up, put your clothes back on. <laughs> yes. All right, All right, we'll think of other ways to publicise it. We'll get there. Don't worry. No, I'll get there. I think. I think today has kind of been um, very low in energy in the rooms. I know oh, you're not yeah. very well, and I didn't well, get much sleep. I but thought you know, I was all... okay. I thought I was okay until I started talking. So you met me, and it was, oh, yeah, I'm an energy yeah. drainer. Well, should we call it a day there? Let's call it a day. Check out our Easter eggs. Podcast five. Rev yeah. ourselves up. Not good. Yeah, back Six. on it. Back on it. Back in the game. <sighs> well, I hope everyone has a good Easter. Or if you've listened to this after Easter, I hope you had a good Easter. Hope someone's treating you well. The jump. How did, how did the jump go? <laughs> what happens? Yeah, when well, they get Eddie the Eagle on the jump, they probably did, to be honest, didn't they? Yeah, he'd done all the rest of them. Yeah. He seems like a nice guy, though, when he when he chats. Yeah, I need some plastering done. Eddie. Give him a ring. Probably, uh, there's a thing on the radio the other day where you could book celebrities and how much it was to book them all. And, uh, and examples Eddie, are... I reckon Eddie Eagle, like, two months ago, was probably like, 500 quid now probably about well not now maybe that's probably a few grand I reckon mm-hmm. I reckon if we tried to book him for a podcast well we couldn't afford him because we need to buy a new chair and another microphone but I reckon <laughs> I reckon it'd be his stock's rising mm-hmm. fair but, play to him I'm look, an underdog I'd want the plastering done as well not just the appearance I suppose so yeah Eddie's a trier remember a girl once used to work with me I can't remember what we was talking about but she said in a thick scouse accent which I won't try and do, which I was about to say, Darren, you're a trier, and God loves a trier. And on that note... On that, on that deep philosophy note... See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>